Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. You have heard us join forces with the organization that is advocating against cruelty for our animal friends. That organization is called PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Ingrid Newkirk is the founder. She is joining me here today. Uh, not only that, uh, an author, an activist. Ingrid, it's great to have you here. Oh, my pleasure entirely. Thank you. These are such short interviews. I probably have a million things I'd like to ask <laughs> you. <laughs> but I do want to talk about here we are. And we have learned so much about revolutionary new ways to show compassion. We have learned so much about our animal friends and what they're capable of to help us humans heal. But here we are merging from the pandemic. And there are facts we should know about. There are things we should know about. And also the incredible book you've written. Tell us what you have discovered about the dynamic nature now, given COVID, given where we are between humans and our animal friends. Well, I have learned a great deal. And not only in compiling stories and facts for Animal Kind, the book, but just from reading about what's happening in the pandemic and living through it. Um, one of the things I hope will emerge from this is a new respect for animals. And I'm including dogs and cats at home because people have started to, were for the last year, spending more time indoors with them, seeing them. And I think that we now know them a bit better than we thought we did before. The walks that we take our dogs on are, I hope, more leisurely. We allow them to sniff the bushes and pick up the news with those incredibly sensitive noses they have. We give them more outdoor time. Imagine, I think, we can see what it must have been like for them to be, many of them, locked up all day long, eight to ten hours, staring at the wall, legs crossed, hoping somebody would come home, let them out, and then we rush home in the evening, grab something and go out to the movies or go out to eat or whatever. I mean, that we don't like lockdown and we don't like being socially distanced from family and friends. That's their life. And I think that may have given many of us a new understanding and appreciation for what animals go through when they're in the zoo, when they're locked for decades in a cage, a barren steel cage in a room in a laboratory scared of every time anybody opens the door because they know something bad will happen. And we've seen animals who are out in the woods when the pandemic first started and people were unable to go to national parks. They closed down. Yosemite, we had mother bears coming out into the roadways, allowing their children to play for the first time because they've being pushed back, pushed back by human activity. So maybe our eyes are a little bit more open to animals' needs, how we have been depriving them of family, friends, freedom, all those things we value so much, and how like us they are. There is no us or them. We're all in this together. 
And the things that we all feel, like fear and pain and joy and so on, are shared. They're not some things. They're not hamburgers and handbags and pets and, you know, cheap burglar alarms and amusements. They're living beings like us. They're emotional. And so I thought it was fascinating to see that things like rodeos were being canceled. The running of the bulls in Spain was canceled. Yeah. We didn't we didn't go to those things. And maybe when this is over, we'll decide we don't need to go and see an elephant stand on their head. We don't need any of those things. And I I want to ask you about this. First of all, you know, as I was reading um, Animal Kind, I was going through the book and I love that you're really talking about new ways. I like to think about it as new days, new ways. And, you know, what you just talked about is what I believe is the difference between change and transformation. You know, I find that the way you just described this and the way you talk about it is we're finally perhaps we will get to the place of transformation in our perspective and in the way we treat our animal friends. You, you know, and I think that is that new level of awareness. And I'd like to ask you about this. That new level of awareness is for me what I think we should be trying to preserve, you know, preserve these gains, you know, to be out in front and see now that you've learned this, now that you see this, now that you're doing this, now, now, dot, 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 what would you be willing to do to maintain this new change? How challenging is that? I think that's a marvelous question. Absolutely marvelous, because it's the key question is how much discipline can we impose on ourselves? How can we stop being so selfish and so greedy and open our eyes to who animals are and what benefit we get as ethical individuals from avoiding anything that hurts them or oppresses them or is violent to them and so on. You know, I think we saw that it's a, it's a knock-on effect. During, when the pandemic first started, the highest rates, and for some time, the highest rates of COVID infection were in nursing homes and in slaughterhouses. Mm, and the yeah. people in the slaughterhouse, the workers who are paid dirt, I mean, they're in the slaughterhouses. There was no way for them to social to distance, physically distance. They weren't given proper equipment because people still wanted meat at that time. And we had, we, meat was declared, slaughterhouses were declared essential. Well, they're not essential. Nobody needs that kind of muck. We don't need to eat flesh. We just grew up thinking we did. And these poor workers were becoming infected. Some of them died. They infected their families. And yet the whole emphasis was on speed, speed, speed. We must churn out this meat. It was a terrible thing. And Peter went outside and demonstrated and sympathized with the workers who often have no other job. But then gradually people started to think, hmm, Maybe I'm here at home, I'll start cooking. Yep. Vegan foods went through the roof, the sales yep. of vegan foods, plant-based milks. Meat companies started to diversify. And you have clothing companies that started to say, well, you know, environmental concerns, animal concerns, okay, consumers want something different. We'll switch to apple leather, pineapple leather, <laughs> you know, grape leather, all these things that are magical and yet are happening now in the clothing and the bag industry, the accessories business. So, yeah, I think that transformation, new days, new ways, transformation, but we have to be on our toes not to slip back. 
We have to learn from history, not forget history. That's important. And Ingrid, let me ask you this. For those of you just tuning in, I want you to just go over to PETA.org, P-E-T-A dot org. Just go over there. You're going to find a lot of information. You'll also be able to find out about, you know, uh, founder Ingrid Newkirk joining me here today and her latest book, Animal Kind. You know, this is a short interview. There are a lot of things in the book that we could talk about. Um, you really don't leave any stone unturned from where I could, you know, from where I sit. But also, I was really, I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised in the conversation in the book about computer generated imagery, and what that means and what we can do in, in terms of, you know, the way we see the world, the way we visualize things. And I was really struck by you including it in the book. Can you talk to that point? Because I think that addresses so much of the upcoming generation, so much of how we're living now. You know, computer generated dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have a lot to be thankful for in a technological age. It's 2021. We don't have to be taking wild animals out of their homelands and putting them in a cage and bullying them into behaving in a certain way so we can make a film or a TV commercial or whatever. Um, Peter's worked very, very hard in Hollywood and in other forums to get first great apes out of these kinds of entertainments. Because when you see a, a chimpanzee, uh, whether it's on a greetings card grinning, that's a fear grimace, or in a show, and there used to be a lot of them in shows. Every yeah. single one was taken away from their loving mothers. Every single one of them was scared and pined and was kept in a small cage barely bigger than their body and was hit and jabbed with a flapjack or something to make them do what they were supposed to be doing for the, for the film. Um, that's all gone now. Uh, we're trying to get the use of animals entirely out of the film, TV, and ad industry. And we're making huge strides because, as you say, we've got computer-generated imagery. You don't even know that's not a tiger right. that was on, on the life of Pi on the boat. That, that's not a real tiger. It's computer-generated imagery, you know? When they made Noah's Ark, I think about three years ago now, Yes, I think they had a thousand animals in Noah's Ark, the remake, and not one of them, actually two of them were doves, were real doves. Every single other 1,000 animals were computer-generated imagery. You hadn't a clue. So we've got animatronics, we've got CGI, we've got virtual reality. This is progress because it has meant the world to animals and we don't need the other way. Ingrid, there's one thing I, I, I was really struck by and I'm hoping I can get it to you here in the time we have left. Uh, those imageries, those images, the anything we see now with computer generated animals, of course, it, or uh, are in films that are meant for the most part, not all, meant to touch the heart. And this is one of these conversations that we don't, have often enough about the emotional side of this for our animal kind. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about the fact that they communicate to each other, that they adjust, that they do things that humanity don't know how to do, like stay together in marriages. And that's a whole nother show, the divorce rate. But what do we need to say if that hasn't been said before 
about the emotional and intuitive nature of animal kind. Well, you know, things are changing with the women's movement, with civil rights, with everything where we're becoming more aware. And that's always a good thing. Even in language, we have to remember to be respectful instead of just throwing out things that we grew up saying and, uh, you know, calling animals pets instead of our companions, animal companions, our, our family members, those kinds of things. But I believe that we undervalue intelligence, emotional intelligence, and we undervalue animals' intelligence. And we need to talk about that. I mean, really, there's adaptive intelligence. We need to, to discuss how that consists of different things in different environments. And that animals are so capable within their own environment. You could stick a human being in the jungle. And Jane Goodall said this to a member yeah. of Congress's aide long ago. And you just see, if you'd be able to survive without your mobile phone, your GPS, your compass, somebody to ask, a plane, you know, packed food, you wouldn't. Most people would not because we are so dependent on things that hold us up and provide for us. But you put any animal in there and there are thousands of different species. They know which plants are poisonous, which plants are edible, which plants are medicinal. They know how to make a place to shelter themselves. They know how to get away from a predator. We are really babes in the woods, if you will, <laughs> for things like that. So respecting the different kinds of intelligence that exist in the range of species and knowing how capable and what good mothers and carers and providers, how they build a home with their hands. They don't call up a building contractor. How they, you know, they teach their children without a computer or a school, that they do it all. We should be in awe of them. And the things that they do, like a reindeer, changes the color of her eyes from blue in winter to gold in summer so that she can see better and manufactures her own vitamin C. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, so let's be more respectful and let's not be afraid of our emotions because they're an integral part of us. I think there's one thing that, and I'd like for you to just comment on this. I think there's one thing that many, many families have discovered during this time uh, and here in the United States, of course, we are still in many, many ways in, in lockdown, shutdown. And, and what people have discovered is that level of love that is shared, you know, between animal friends and, you know, and individuals now that are in a restricted mode, for the most part, one which they're not used to. And our animal friends don't worry about that. It's an unconditional love. It's yeah, something they, they, they don't give. care. They don't care what you look like. They don't care how much money you have. Uh, what they do care about is how you're feeling. Yeah. And I, animals will come up to you. They will protect you. If you're crying, they will try to comfort you. If you're cold, they'll try to keep you warm. Look at the children who are found out in the woods with a yeah. dog or some other animal cuddling up to them, knowing knowing that they can't survive. They're not as equip well equipped as, as they are. Um, Animals are very, they love joy. They love to play. They love to have fun. And yet, you know, they're often subjugated. They're accessories to our lives. They may want to go out. They may want to smell things and jump and dig and do they, and it's not convenient for you. And so they don't get to do it. But we need to stop thinking of them as things that are attached to us and think of them as other living beings who share every important thing 
and desire that we do too. Ingrid, thank you so much for today. Uh, I want to just tell everybody, you can please go to PETA.org. And there's so many things there, so many ways to get involved. I want to know, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? And thank you for everything you, you do. Oh, thank you. I mean, my personal message is if you're against violence, if you're against oppression, if you're against discrimination, you're for animal rights. So Come to peter.org and find something that calls to you that you would like to do to help. And we will welcome you with open arms. And if you're out there and you're wondering, what am I going to do with my family this weekend? Well, you go get the book Animal Kind. You sit down with your family. You take a look and you explore the riches and the richness of animals, their talents, emotions, intelligence. You share this with your family members and you walk away with a smile on your face, a new love and appreciation for all that is animal kind. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com. We got some news for you today. Uh, do you know whether or not your vehicle has an open safety recall? Look, these are some of the things we don't pay attention to, but these are some of the things we need to know. Vehicle Safety Recalls Week, March 8th, March 12th. Dr. Stephen Riddell is joining me here today. Tell us about this and tell us the importance of being aware about this. Indeed. Thanks, Dr. Pat. Um, we treat recalls extremely seriously because every recall is a serious safety recall. In fact, the definition is unreasonable risk to safety. So by Knowing if your vehicle has a recall and then getting it fixed when you do find it has a recall, you're protecting yourself, protecting your family, friends, loved ones, and even other passengers and vehicles and possibly even pedestrians. So mm. it's important to get these recalls fixed. And we launch the Vehicle Safety Recalls Week every year at this time because people are checking their clocks to move them forward. They're checking their uh, smoke alarms to see if they need battery replacements. They're doing some spring cleanup. Getting that awareness to people say, hey, look, I need to check my car for a recall. And then if they have a recall, I should take it and get it fixed for free. So it's just another thing to do, but we're trying to make it easier for people uh, to, to check for recalls by offering a lot of different ways to do that. And I think this is really important. I mean, I, I wasn't kidding when I said to you earlier that, you know, I, I'm one of these people that fell smack in the middle of this. And, you know, it's one of these things that I didn't know how to track down. And, you know, when you don't know how to track something down, you're not quite sure of, you know, is this for me? Is this for everyone? And in my case, I owned a vehicle um, that had a fuel injection, shall we say, recall, uh, and ended mm -hmm. up driving to a toll booth with that thing popping and catching on fire. And that's on me. Oh, no. I, no kidding, right? And but, but, you know, we didn't think about the ways to look these things up. So today's show, right, is about we don't have to wait for the companies to tell us, ah, oh, this is this, this is that. What other ways can people find out whether or not they're driving a safe vehicle? Excellent question. Um, we are offering lots of different ways to check. You know, the manufacturer is required to send at least one first-class letter with a you know open safety recall or, or serious safety recall on the front of the letter, but we're offering ways to do that and take you know take in your own hands to look for recalls. So our website, which is nhtsa.gov/recalls, 
is available. There's a free VIN lookup tool. The VIN is your vehicle identification number. It's a 17-digit number. It's located on the lower portion of the windshield on the driver's side. Uh, it's also on the driver's side door and the label. And on your insurance or registration card, you enter that VIN into our lookup tool. You'll get an instant ping about whether or not you got a recall on that vehicle. And if you would rather call somebody, we have a hotline. It's 888-327-4236. And you can talk to an operator, give them the VIN. They'll tell you that. You can also file a complaint either online or with our operators about any issue you have with your vehicle that you think is safety related. So we're looking forward. We receive thousands of those from people every year. And finally, we have an app. Um, we joined the app for a, and we have an app called Safer Car available on Android and Apple phones uh, where you can enter that VIN number into that. You can enter your all your family members' cars, your friends. You can enter child seat information, tire information, and that app is constantly checking databases to see if recalls exist for those components or vehicles. And if it does find an, a, a recall, it gives you an instant notification. and tells you where to go get it fixed. Mm. I think that's really one of the most important innovations we're talking about today because, you know, people with their busyness, you know, they get mail. They don't – it doesn't always look like it's a real mail, and it hits a pile. So what you're talking about, mm -hmm. to have something automatically keep you informed is just – it's brilliant. Um, but you, you're the director of the Office of Defects investigation at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's a long title, but it is an important one. And I want to ask you, are you seeing any trends? What, what are you seeing as you look out on the highway? N no pun intended right there. But, you know, as you kind of look out, what are you seeing? Are we paying attention to our vehicles? Or do we think because of all the fancy dancy stuff that it's going to take care of itself? Excellent question. So my agency, obviously, safety is in our, in our name. It's in our blood. We're, we're looking out for people every day. Um, we're working with manufacturers every day. We're looking at data every day to identify potential defects that are in vehicles. There's a lot of data that the manufacturers supply to us. As I said, we get these consumer complaints uh, thousands every year. We search those for trends to see if there are any issues uh, with any component in the vehicle that can cause a safety risk. So we're constantly trying to find that um, uh, that trend. And sometimes it may just be a couple of things that are just that serious that we, we say, okay, it has to be a recall. You know, a car is the most complex thing humans make. It's got thousands of components coming together from thousands of suppliers and, and, and made millions of times in, in vehicles every year in the United States and around the world. So the potential for something to happen either in the design, manufacturing, or performance of the vehicle could manifest itself as a defect. And so um, we're finding these things sooner. We're using you know new data analysis techniques to try to find trends and look at information every day. So um, we're all there to look for um, those things. And, and uh, if recalls are necessary, the manufacturers are required to uh, issue that recall if they, if they identify a particular safety defect and uh, issue the recall and, and, and offer a free remedy for that, for that defect. Um, I want to ask you a little bit of advice about this. Sometimes we're ahead of a dealership. Um, you know, this is a great way to keep track of what's going on with our vehicles also to really be persistent about getting things adjusted, getting things fixed. Um, what do you think are the greatest challenges for owners, vehicle owners, as they move forward? And uh, whether they use this app or they don't, what is the greatest challenge for them? 
Yeah, we, we monitor completion rates, you know, making sure that, that if we can get to 100% on recall, that's great. We know that, that people's lives are busy, um, you know, challenges during the COVID times, but dealers and manufacturers are making it, it easier than ever, hopefully, to get to get vehicles done. We know that the convenience factor is one of the biggest ones out there sometimes and that they're offering things like mobile repair where they'll come out to your driveway or fix it right on the spot. They'll come pick up your car maybe and take it back to the dealership and then bring it back when they fix it. Um, offering innovative techniques to get recalls done so that people's lives can you know, not be so impacted by having to go and make a special trip to the dealership. So we are working with manufacturers to find even more ways to make it convenient and also to make sure that people are aware of those recalls. Mm. Um any tips for people? I know you've got to run off to a, another show. I'm just wondering from where you sit and you've worked with so many people, so many organizations, what would you say would be something that people could do now and to get ahead of the game? Well, obviously getting the app is probably the, the, the you know, the number one thing to do. And also if they don't, you know, don't want to get the app, um, but go to our website and, and just make a reminder for themselves that something they should do once, twice a year, maybe, you know, in the, in the fall, when we go back on daylight savings time, check again. Um, you know, recalls are issued every day. Like I said, we've had in this year alone, almost 900 vehicle recalls affecting 55, this is in 2020, 55 million vehicles and vehicle components. So you can imagine the possibility that a vehicle is, is under recall. So, you know, owners need to be aware that they need to check often, uh, the app is a great way to do that, but if they just you know make a, a reminder for themselves to to use even our website, um, it's just another thing to do. And they can sign up for alerts. Our website allows them to put their email address in, and when a recall is issued, they'll get an email saying, "Hey, guess what? Your car's under mm-hmm. recall, and here's the information." So, um, being a little proactive, um, and we're offering the tools to do that. Uh, can give you peace of mind and keep you yourself safe and your family safe. Can you give out that website? Yes. It's nhtsa.gov slash recalls uh, and the Safer Car app. Thank you so much. And our hotline also. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, please. Um, The the hotline was 888-327-4236. Thank you so much. One last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? Safety is is a priority for us and for everybody should be that safety is uh, in your car um, we, we are trying to get to you know, zero deaths on the road and any way we can do it, uh, keeping your family safe by fixing recalls uh, and is a great thing to do. So I urge people to keep checking and be safe out there wow. and wear your seatbelts. No kidding. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. You know, this is a good news segment. Where are we in the conversation about raising a level of awareness? You know, where are we with the conversation about what does it mean to really look at our body and what we put in it? Dr. Robert Gabay is joining me here today, Chief Scientific and Medical Medical Officer, American Diabetes Association, and Mandy Tilton, RN, Chief Nursing Officer, DeVita Kidney Care. Both of these two are going to come in here right now, and we're going to get right at it. Welcome to both of you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. So here's the thing. You know, because I was on my own healing journey, I got to be really educated about the relationship between events in our lives and relationships between one part of the body and the way we live our life or one part of the body and a condition. Um, And this conversation right here, I'm so eager to talk about with you because 
we handle kidney health and diabetes as two different things. Like one's over here and one's over here. One's an apple, one's an orange. But this is a fresh conversation. And doctor, let me start with you and then Mandy will go to you. This is a fresh conversation, isn't it? And, and, it, and what I mean by fresh is we now have a new level of awareness, correct? Yes, Dr. Pat. I mean, we, we really now understand that diabetes is the leading cause of kidney disease. Uh, and wow. the second leading cause is high blood pressure. Many people with diabetes have high blood pressure as well. Can we just pause for a moment and say that again? Can we just hold for a moment and say that again? Because you see that association you just made, I would bet a month's pay that millions and millions and millions of people don't know what you just said, don't know that association. Isn't that the new headlines today? That is definitely a headline, and uh, thank you for doing this show so that people can uh, understand the connection. Yeah, um, and I know this because uh, we're talking about people in my family here. Um, I want to ask you this, and Mandy, let me go hop over to you for a minute if I could. Um, here you are, and you have a role, uh, patient care technician. You serve as chief nursing officer. You understand dialysis probably better than most people. Uh, you're an expert in this field. Uh, you hold a doctorate in nursing. And I want to ask you, what is your new headline for us today when we are talking about kidneys? The headline I want to leave you with is that kidney disease and diabetes are both conditions which don't present or show up with obvious symptoms. So people often don't know they have these things until they're very far advanced. That is why it is so important to see your physician regularly and find these types of things early so we mm. can slow down that progression. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, for me, this is, let's get down to some facts. You know, we are here ahead of World Kidney Day on Thursday, March 11th, and we're getting ahead of the curve to talk about this. I, I really do believe this is one of the more, more important conversations that we get to talk to in a segment like this, doctor, and I want to get back to you. And the reason I think it's important is because we have not, as a society, at least here in the United States, put these two together. And when we put them together, doesn't it open up the door for more solution and more possibilities, really, as we step out and we say, if we treat this, perhaps this won't happen? Do you see what I mean? Yes. Uh, by better treatment of people's diabetes uh, and their blood pressure, uh, we can really prevent kidney disease. Mm -hmm. and, and in many ways, we know a lot of what needs to be done. It's a matter of raising the awareness uh, of people about the connection and what they can do about it. And look, you're in the field. You're the Chief Scientific Medical Officer, American Diabetes Association, Global Authority on Diabetes. This is you. And so let me ask you this question. What do you believe are the least known facts about diabetes that people should know today? Well, there's a lot of information about diabetes. It is, um, sadly, in many ways, it can be a silent killer because people don't know that they have diabetes yep. or 
are not aware of the connections with the various complications, including the kidney. And that's why we want to raise awareness around this and for people to get tested and go back to see their healthcare providers. Because in the middle of the pandemic, we've all pushed things off. Mm. Uh, and now that it's gone on as long as it has, um, it's, it's important to reconnect with your healthcare team. Uh, we can't be pushing things off anymore. I am so right there with you. And I know the pandemic has caused multidimensional transitions and transformations in our lives. I really, I talk about it every day. I talk about it in a gazillion ways every day. Um, But I will admit this to you, out of sort of the researching and polling we've been doing, we are so tied up in the pandemic and trying to keep our families safe that we have put ourselves at the bottom of the list. That's what we've done. And by doing a show like this, hopefully we will raise the bar a little bit more. Um, Mandy, I want to ask you this question because I'm not kidding when I say we have put ourselves at the bottom of the list. And I don't want to get into it in this show because it really is another show I'm going to do. But we're talking about a level of awareness and we're talking about kidney disease. So can you talk about what options people that are diagnosed with kidney disease, what are the new options? Are there new options? Absolutely, I can talk about that. So first of all, we want to um, teach people how to slow the progression of kidney disease so their kidneys don't ultimately fail. Things that we do to educate uh, people on that topic is to have a, a healthy diet and exercise, to avoid smoking and, and, and take uh, medications as prescribed by doctors. For some people who, who are unaware that they have kidney disease or um, are unable to slow that progression, um, they may experience kidney failure. And in that case, people will um, have uh, usually the best option of a kidney transplant And if they can't have that option uh, available to them right away, then there's different types of dialysis that are available. Um, And let me ask you this question to both of you now. Um, Both of you represent sort of independent conversations that we now know have a direct correlation. And uh, the confusion about diabetes, and I think this is, you know, having come from a family where, you know, this has come up multiple times in family members, um, there is confusion about diabetes. And let me ask you this question, doctor. There is confusion about do I have type 1, do I have type 2, are both equally important, do they both equally affect my kidney? Yeah, talk about what the connection is between diabetes and kidney disease so that people can connect the dots? Well, diabetes, uh, either type 1 or type 2, can cause kidney disease, Mm -hmm. and so they're both important. Um, Type 1 diabetes, for your listeners, is an autoimmune disease where the body attacks the ability to produce the hormone insulin. Insulin is the hormone that helps control our blood sugars. And it can happen at any age, even though we often think of it in children. 90% of people with diabetes have type 2 diabetes. And in type 2 diabetes, it's a little different. People become resistant to the effects of insulin. The insulin their body makes doesn't work, doesn't work so well. And as a result, they also have high blood sugars, which can damage the kidneys and lead to kidney disease. 
I want to ask a question of both of you. Many people really think and really are in this place of, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't know this. And, and it's exactly like you said, doctor, I didn't know. So I want to make sure before we roll out of here, what is the best way for people to find out some of the information? We're just not going to get to in a short interview today. Doctor, give me your website. And then Mandy, if you don't mind, give me yours. Absolutely. For more information on diabetes, uh, the American Diabetes Association website is diabetes.org or diabetes.org. And Mandy, how about you? You bet. For kidney health, our website is Davita, and that is D-A-V-I-T-A, so Davita.com. I want to ask you guys this last question. Um, The thing that I am acutely aware of is the signs. And so I'd like to hear from each of you if you had to pick your top three signs, top three things people to be aware of. For example, Mandy, in, in, in my case, I walked around with this horrible, what I thought was back pain, to find out it actually wasn't my back. It's actually my kidney. And so, you know, there are things that we just don't know. What can you share with us so that people listening say, oh, okay, I should be on the lookout for this. Let's start with you, doctor, first, and then we'll hop over to Mandy. Well, for diabetes, it could be excessive thirst and excessive urination. But probably the most important thing is it could be nothing. Mm. Uh, And that's why it's important to get tested. And tell us about the testing. When you say testing, let's just be clear with people what we're, we're asking them to do. Because a lot of times when we say testing, they think, oh, I got to have this big prescription. Tell us what we're talking about. We're talking about blood work, right? Yeah, simple blood work that measures uh, for diabetes. It, it takes a look at their blood sugar. And for kidney disease, it measures the kidney function just in a simple blood test that any laboratory can do. Beautiful. Um, And of course, your physician will be able to walk you through what shows up in that blood work. Uh, Mandy, for you, give us your top, this is what you should be on the lookout for. Absolutely. The first would be swelling. And Mm -hmm. that can be around your ankles or eyes. And that's because your kidneys um, are not getting rid of fluid effectively. The second would be Nausea and vomiting, a general just kind of not feeling well, and that's because your kidneys may not be effectively removing toxins from your body. And I'm going to echo that third important part from Dr. Gabe, which it could be nothing. So testing is absolutely everything. I love it. One more time from each of you, please give out the websites and thank you for today. Sure. For DaVita and Kidney Health, it is DaVita, D-A-V-I-T-A, dot com. And for the American Diabetes Association and information about diabetes, diabetes diabetes.org. Well, thank you both for getting the message out of here because we are really talking about saving lives. And thank you for the reminder that we do need to pay attention of things that really have to do with our own personal health. Thank you both for this. And everybody, World Kidney Day on Thursday, March 11th. And please find out more at davida.com and diabetes.org. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Get empowered.
Look, everybody, today I want to introduce you to Gwen Samuel, president and founder, CT Parents Union. We're ready to talk to you about Get Schooled, what that campaign is all about. There's more that we have to do, and there definitely is more that we have to share with people. Education to our kids transcends any epidemic or pandemic. Gwen, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I'm just excited to to talk with you today and to hear your passion about this issue of education. It's never made sense to me. Um, I'm a kid. I grew up in the projects in New York. And, uh, you know, the, the struggle, the conversations, the debate uh, around educating our children to, and also about how to be innovative in doing that, it just never made good common sense to me. Um, but let me ask you, you are on the front line. And what right now, when you woke up this morning, what was the first thing that came to mind about the message you want to share today, Gwen? The message I want to share is that our children deserve better. Yeah. That our kids are struggling, especially in the state of Connecticut, which is my hometown, yeah. and the First Lady and our new Secretary of Education are, are coming here today. And I've actually put a classroom up outside of the building where the Secretary of Education and Ms. Biden are going to be. It's an outdoor classroom to show them that our kids are being left out in the cold. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, I think we got a little bit of good news, which I was really, <laughs> I was pleasantly shocked, if I could say, um, especially around, you know, moving our teachers and educators and people that work in the school system in general mm -hmm. to the forefront of, mm -hmm. of the vaccination movement. Uh, it, yeah. And I, then I thought to myself, geez, we're just doing that now. Uh, but we're doing it. What do you think, what have you seen um, has made you really rise up and say, we need more than a conversation. We need to get people engaged in this. The learning loss has mm. just been catastrophic over the past year. I mean, we're talking about children in some cases who are getting something like maybe 30 minutes of instruction over the course of a week. That is just not okay. And particularly when you start talking about children with um, more challenging circumstances like learning English or mm. children with disabilities or even the, the little tiny kids, pre-kindergarten kids and kindergarten kids are not set up to have one 30-minute block of instructional time a week. And we can't expect that they're going to be able to keep pace with their learning like that. And, you, you know, I, I think that if we don't shine a light on this, we're never going to get the attention to fix it, to turn it around. Um, and, it, you know, I, I'm always in awe when I think about something like this and I think about our legislators and I think about how, how do we have to communicate about the sense of urgency here? I mean, what is it that we are not saying where we just cannot get any love on this? I think we've just got to have some plain talk and we yes. got to speak clearly. I think there's a lot of rhetoric, there's yep. a lot of back and forth, and it can be confusing, but it's really simple. We have a number of public schools that serve children well 
we need to get beyond talking about what kind of public school it is and get about fighting on behalf of children and on behalf of families and giving them what they need. I mean, our new president is about unifying this nation and about providing uh, opportunities for working families. And you know where that starts? In public education. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, you're talking to somebody that graduated high school, barely could read and write. So yeah, I'm really feeling you on this one. But when you come from the projects and you come from a place um, where you're not important enough in the system, it really hurts. It's really a ripple effect. But let's talk about the role of, of, of charter schools, because I think for a lot of people, there is a lot of confusion and rhetoric, great word. But there is the real deal on what we need and how to provide it. Give us your effort to make sure that happens. So charter schools are innovative public schools. The first thing I want to note is they're always public schools. And these are just public schools that have the flexibility to operate outside of a school district. Mm -hmm. So they've got the flexibility to really meet the individual needs of students and families, to be flexible with their curriculum, with the hours of instruction, with the length of the school day, with the length of the school year, and particularly coming into a pandemic, these things are critically important. I mean, if you're talking about kids who haven't had instruction for nearly a year, maybe we need to give them a little bit more than what they were getting before so we you can think? catch them up. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't really understand how in anybody's mind we think we're going to just ignore the gap that has been created, right? And we want to make sure that nobody will ignore those gaps. I want to use my voice to make sure that I can advocate on behalf of little kids who can't talk for themselves and so that the adults who really need to be fighting for kids are aware that this is this is an emergency situation. This is very high stakes. You know, this the conversation, Gwen, you and I are having right now, and I want to be really clear about this from my perspective, and I'm sure you have one as well. This transcends whether you are on one side of the aisle or not. You know, it transcends whether or not, you know, you believe in X or you believe in Y. You know, this is the one thing we all have in common, right? This is the one thing when we think about things, we bring our children to the forefront. And if you have any resemblance of a heart, you stop for a moment and say, we've got to do something to look out on their behalf. Tell us about what you're doing. And also tell us about Charter's work. Outstanding. So, Dr. Pat, you're spot on. This is not a, a red issue or a blue issue, a conservative or a democratic issue. It's not a, it's not a charter school or a magnet school or a public school issue. It is, it is an issue that is for children. This is about education. And these distinctions are false distinctions because we need to be looking out for serving every kid. What we want to make sure is that every child has access to a high quality education. What does that mean? That means that every kid, no matter what community you're in, you've got options to attend a school that is going to meet your needs. What does that mean for people who are listening here? Hold your elected officials accountable for that. Making sure that these schools are fairly funded, that they are 
fairly resourced and that they serve the needs of every kid because we can't expect children to be able to make it in this world if we don't give them a high quality education and the resources that they deserve. Um, I know you're doing a number of these interviews and I know this is a passion and powerful uh, action that you're taking. Um, and don't let our kids be left out in the cold. I love that. When this is, Thank we're you. at a time, I, I got to tell you, we're at a, we're at a crossroads right now because we, the decisions we make today are going to be the decisions that affect a child for a lifetime. And That's you know, right. I, I want to ask you, what are we doing to educate people about charter schools? What are we doing to answer questions and to, to literally stop the attacks and just stop for a minute and hear each other. Well, for one thing, we've got awesome people like you that are helping us to be able to have a platform for sharing this information. We also have wonderful information available at my organization, the Connecticut Parents Union. So that's ctparentsunion.org. And also people can find information on charterswork.org. And you can go to these sites and there's ways to be able to take action. You can, as an individual, get a message to your elected officials and you can educate yourself on this issue. Because there are people that are spreading false information, and you know who it's hurting? Our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have been out in the forefront. You've been on radio. You've been on television. You know, you are the founder of CT Parents Union. Um, if I might ask you, I, I think in, in my life, I've had things that I have been pushed to, a wall, let's say, that I've been pushed to about who I am and what I am and and that has moved me to take an action that I never thought I would take. What was your moment? What was your why? I am a mom, first and foremost. And when I saw how hard I was fighting for my kids just to have access to a high-quality education, I realized that there were so many other parents that were having the same struggle and so many other kids who might not have had a mom like me to be able to advocate on me on their behalf. And I knew that I had to fight for everybody. Um, you know, that when my kid was a little kid in elementary school and I was fighting to get them into a better classroom or with the resources that they deserved, this is when I said it's so much bigger than me and my kid. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people are not aware. They're not aware of legislation. And uh, let me just just talk about this for a minute. Um, many of the people listening today, they may not even know that, well, wait a minute, there's actually a state that has a law that if you are a parent and you go to enroll your child in a school outside of your zip code, what? Felony? Arrest? Yes. There are a lot of people don't know this, right? Yes. Yeah. Th that is... Yes. They've got to be close to one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. And yet it is enacted, isn't it? It is. Um, we were able to change that law yep. in the state of Connecticut, but yep. it is still on the books in a number of states across the country. I mean, we've seen mothers who've actually like served time for trying to get their kids into a good school. It's yeah. just awful. Now, the thing about charter schools is they are not bound by jurisdiction like like district schools are. So a charter school can serve kids from that over uh, across that entire geography. 
they're in a given municipality. They're not bound by this neighborhood or that neighborhood. Yeah. So parents actually have a choice to be able to send their kids to a high quality public school. Yeah. And I think that's really when we're talking about this, <clears throat> we're talking about putting our children first. That's, you know, that that's really the, the real core of the conversation, Gwen, isn't it? It's looking at our kids and saying, are we putting them first when it comes to education? We're not even comparing them to what other countries are doing because we can't even hold ourselves up to even close to a standard with what people oh, abroad are doing. Said it. You yeah. Said it, Dr. They're not. It, I was <laughs> debating with somebody not too long ago and they looked at me. I said, of course, kids were going to have to go to summer school. And they looked at me like, what? I said, well, how do you think they're doing right now? Yeah. Uh, and the minute that we get some movement here to get the teachers in the classrooms, as we are doing, and mm -hmm. provide that environment, we can then start to talk about, are we then closing the gap? So tell us in these last minutes left, what would you like to see done to close the gap and get everybody schooled? All right. So... One of the things that I think is very important is, first of all, we have to be able to measure where our children are. Oh. So this is the one thing that I want to applaud the new secretary of education on, which is a commitment to making sure that we actually do testing this, this spring. Now, this should not be punitive. We should not be doing high stakes consequences for these. But if we don't even know whether the babies can read, what are we doing? Right. We have to be able to know where they are so we know where the gaps are and then how we can build them up and shore them up. That's number one. Number two, I'm a big fan of accountability. And that means that once you have that information and we know where children are, where they may be falling short, what are we doing about that? How do we hold ourselves accountable for making sure that these children are actually learning? That means additional resources. It means high-quality instructors. It means making sure that we do whatever it takes to make sure that every kid has a high-quality education and that we can see that they're growing year over year. Yeah. One of the things I was trying to find out, Gwen, was I was trying to find out, you know, in whatever people are trying to do in Washington, D.C., you know, the question that I ask, are you going to provide funding to provide resources so that, you know, these kids, if they need to get additional help, the additional help is there. But I think you all are taking this to the level of vocalization so that not only we can be aware but so that people understand the things that they don't know that restricts us mm -hmm. from making sure that our children have the best education possible in one of the richest countries in the world. And that That's has right. a gap. We have got to close that there gap. You said it. Yeah, you said it, Dr. Pat. Gwen, how can we find out more? And I'd love to know your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with today. So I would uh, encourage people to go to Connecticut Parents Union website, which is ctparentsunion.org or to charterswork.org. And my personal message is that each one of us has a responsibility to do the best we can on behalf of kids. That means raising our voices. Mm -hmm. That means fighting for them. And that means making sure that every kid and every community has access to a high quality public education, 
you said it. Thank you so much, Gwen. Thank you. And, you know, make sure you kind of get uh, Dr. Jill some of them questions about how we're going to close the gap, if you don't mind. Okay. You bet I will. Uh,